0: Well, good morning to everyone that's out there today. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to start off with a little story that many of you are probably familiar with. In fact, they made it into a movie, a movie that was called 127 Hours. In 2003, a man by the name of Aaron Ralston was rock climbing out in Utah when uh, this huge boulder shifted and pinned his hand and his forearm uh, up against the canyon wall. Well, Ralston was an experienced climber. He knew how to use his equipment his ropes, his cleats, his wedges, uh, to, uh, to move boulders. But this one was so big, he tried for five days and couldn't do it. And after five days, he ran out of food, he ran out of water. The next day he got up and he did the unthinkable. If you know the story, you know what he did. He took out his pocket knife and he literally cut off his own arm. Then he rappelled down 60 feet down the side of the mountain and walked to safety. I think we could all say Ralston took some radical measures. I think we could also say he was an incredibly smart man because he realized this. He realized that he could either keep both arms and die or he could lose one arm and live. He could keep both arms and die or lose one arm and live. That sounds drastic, but I was thinking about the whole thing, and spiritually, I believe that's exactly what we need to do. Think about this. We need to cut off whatever is causing us to stay stuck, we have to do the same thing. We have to take some pretty drastic measures to remove anything that's causing us to sin, anything in our life that's causing us to remain in sin. Basically, cut it off, cut it out of your life. So that's a little bit about what we're talking about as we go into this uh, new series in the beginning of a new year and uh, this kind of strange new year. I was hoping that twenty twenty would go out and twenty 2020 twenty would twenty twenty one would come in and everything would be bliss. Not so much so far, but as we go into this new year, you're probably making some New Year's resolutions. I'm not a New Year's resolution hater at all. I think you should make them. I think you should make a lot of them, and I think you should keep as many as you can. But my fear is that we'll just make them about the same old things we usually make them about, losing a few pounds or reading a few more books, when really I want us to focus this year on going a whole lot deeper than that. I want us to jump into the spiritual side of things, into our spiritual life and the needs of our spiritual life to help set the right course. Not just a course, but the right course for our life. The Apostle Paul, believe it or not, uh, this great man of God, had to do some cuttings of his own. And in one of his greatest chapters ever written in the Bible, he explains why. Look at what he says in Romans 8, verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters... You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Right there, he's telling us you have a sinful nature. We all have a sinful nature. We were born with a sinful nature. But we have no obligation to fulfill those, obli- uh, to fulfill those uh, sinful urges. I think many times when we think of our sinful nature and the urges, we automatically let our minds go to things like sex, drugs, addictions. And those are part of it, without a doubt. But a lot of times, I think it's far more subtle than that. You know, my sinful urges cause me to do some things sometimes that I'm not even sure are sin. They don't feel like sin. They don't look like sin. My sinful natures urge me to do things like, I'll compare myself to you. I'll compare myself to others just to improve my self-esteem, to make me feel better about myself. My sinful nature urges me to actually get bitter sometimes. When things don't go quite my way. My sinful nature urges me to wallow in my shame sometimes when I just keep messing up time and time and time again. Well, the good news, the Apostle Paul just wrote a scripture and he says you're under no obligation. If you are a believer, you're a follower of Christ, you are under no obligation to follow the urges of that sinful nature. In other words, you're going to have those urges, but you don't have to give in to those urges. That's good news. Look at verse 13. He says, for if you live by its dictates. What dictates? Our sinful nature's dictates. Our sinful dictates. He says you will die. That's not a threat. That's a warning. And he's not just talking about dying a physical death. We all know without a doubt, we're going to all die a physical death regardless of how good a person you are, regardless of how good of life you've lived. He's talking about another type of death. He's talking about an emotional death. He's talking about a relational death. He's talking about a spiritual death. He's talking about, are you really going to live the type of life that God wants you to live to get the most out of your life? He goes on to say this, but if through the power of the what? If through the power of the spirit, and here it is, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. It's all by the power of the spirit. We don't have the strength to do it within ourselves, but by the power of the Spirit. But we still have to do something. But you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. We're talking about unshackling ourselves from anything that would try to hold us back. You know, as I think about this, as we go into this brand new year, if we're going to be all that God wants us to be, and we're going to go everywhere God wants us to go spiritually, we're going to have to unshackle ourselves from those things that are trying to hold us back. So the first one that I want to talk about today is one that we get wrapped up in more times than we want to admit. It's this little word right here called envy. Envy is a small word, but it's a powerful word. It's actually a very destructive word. This isn't just uh, this isn't something that I get a lot of calls, okay, I don't get any calls to pray for people about envy. I have people calling me for all sorts of situations for uh, their struggles, maybe with adultery, maybe with marital issues, with some unforgiveness issues or anger issues. But never once, never once have I ever got a call or had to make a meeting for someone that wanted to talk about envy. But when you peel back the layers, I think you're going to find that envy is actually at the root of many problems that we face. We may not realize it, but it's at the root a simple definition of envy is that envy is this: a feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Break it down, it's when you start looking at what others have and not just look at them but want what they have. Envy thrives off of comparison, comparing your situation to someone else's situation. It reminds me of something that I heard uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel say one time about this same issue. He said, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. That's so true. The fastest way to kill something special in your life is to compare it to something or someone else's life. I read where there are three main areas of comparison. If you're taking notes out there, the first one is material comparison. It's when you're envious of other people's possessions. You know, we've all done this. And some of you have done it even in a remodel project, maybe remodeling your kitchen. Maybe you've spent thousands and thousands of dollars and many, many months remodeling your kitchen. And you get finished, and you step back, and you're so proud of it. It looks wonderful. It's amazing. Until you're invited to go over to the Joneses' house... And they've just finished remodeling their kitchen. You walk in, and it looks like stinking Joanna Gaines lives there along with Chip. And I mean, there's chiplap all over, crown molding all over. You've got the lights under the uh, cabinets. You've got the granite tops. You've got those slow-closed drawers. All of a sudden, you're thinking, my kitchen stinks. My kitchen stinks. I think I ought to scrap the whole project, start over. Then you start thinking, well, maybe we should sell the whole house. Maybe it's a... You see some exotic picture of somebody else's vacation, and immediately you get jealous. You get resentful, and you start tearing them down in your mind. Don't tell me you don't do this. We've all done this. And you're thinking, wait a second, didn't they just get back from a beautiful vacation? I saw their pictures when they went to Hawaii two months ago. I can't even go to Walnut Point. They're taking their second vacation. This is ridiculous. And then you start thinking, well, they're running up some credit card debt over there. They need to take a brand new Dave Ramsey course. You know, we think those kind of thoughts. Or how about this one? You see that picture of those feet on the beach. (laughs) Don't you hate that picture? There's like this blue water, this white sand. They've got a book in their hand, a cool drink in their hand. and, And beside the picture, it's hashtag blessed life. And you look at the picture and all of a sudden you're thinking in your mind, I hate that water. I hate that water. I hate that sand. I hate that book. I hate those stinking feet. And then what do you do? Yeah, you click the like, bu- like button and you move on. It's crazy, but we all do it. And it's because of envy. It's because of jealousy. It's because we're always comparing our lives with someone else's. The second kind of comparison is relational comparison. You, know, you might see a, you might see a post of your friends on Facebook and. You're just looking through some of their postings and you're feeling pretty good about the day. You're having a good day until you see certain pictures and all of a sudden you're not having a good day. All of a sudden you're looking at these pictures and you're saying, "Hey, I recognize them. I know them. They're all my friends and they're all together and I'm not there." They're at a party, a New Year's Eve party and I'm at home in my jammies. What's the deal? Why didn't I get invited? Or maybe it's when you get one of those Christmas pictures from a family, and their family looks perfect. There's not a hair out of place. Everything is beautiful. They're holding up these little block letters that spell out their name. Uh, they're matching, wearing matching sweaters. Even their dog has a matching sweater on. They all look so perfect. And what makes it worse is you know your family's not anything like that. You know your family's not like that. If you had to put your family picture on a Christmas card... If you were honest and did it honestly, you'd all be strangling each other. Amen? What I'm saying is all of a sudden we find ourselves envious of others' relationships. The third one is circumstantial comparison. Basically, when you wish you had somebody else's life. Basically, when you compare yourself to other situations that other people have in their life. You say, I wish my job was more important. I wish it was more significant. Or maybe you're single out there and you're saying, I wish I was married. I would say everyone, under the sound of my voice out there, would love and wants to live in the land of Ur. You might say, what do you mean by Ur? You know what I mean. Richer, prettier, faster, smarter. And then once we live in the land of Ur, that quickly wears away, wears off. And we want to live in the land of Est. You know what I'm saying richest prettiest smartest fastest and you know something this isn't new at all this has been happening since the beginning of time and sociologists actually say that envy is a bigger problem in our generation than it's ever been before and you know whole reason or big part of that reason social media when you look at other people's lives on social media you know what you're getting you're getting a filtered image not a true image but a doctored up image When we're comparing our situation with other people's situation, we're getting their highlight reel of their life. And I don't care who you are, that makes you feel like a big loser because you're seeing the best of their best and knowing the worst of your worst. Amen? Jealousy and envy, when you break it down, pull people down all day long. I heard this story about a crab fisherman who was walking along the beach one day with a pail full of crabs. Someone suggested to him, hey, you better put a lid on that pail. Those crabs will crawl out. The fisherman looked at him and said, oh, no, they won't. Every time one of those crabs starts to crawl out of my pail, the other crabs inside will reach up and pull them back down inside. Sound familiar? I think it reminds me a whole lot of our kids and the way they think. Everything's got to be equal. If you don't think so, think back to a birthday party when you cut a piece of that birthday cake. All the rest of the kids around the table are watching to make sure they get the exact same amount of cake as, as the first person got. Heck, even my dogs are envious of each other. I mean, I'll reach down and I'll pet my dog, Gemma, on the head, and my dog, Lady, would look up at me and basically say, uh, hey, what's the deal? Where's my pat? The whole thing is human nature is always comparing. Human nature always compares our situation to someone else's. And in the Bible, if you know your Bible at all, there are a lot of stories about jealousy, a lot of stories about envy. But one I want to look at today is about King Saul and David. And to set this whole thing up, I want to show you something. When the people wanted a king, God, through the prophet Samuel, appointed Saul. Now Saul, he was tall. He was good-looking. He just had this kingly look about him. But when Samuel called all of Israel to meet for the anointing ceremony to make Saul king, they couldn't find Saul. He had been invited. He was the guest of honor, but they couldn't find him anywhere. The Bible says they inquired of the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. They asked, has the man come here yet? And the, and the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. Saul had hidden himself among the supplies. Other translations said that he hid himself among the baggage or the equipment might be a little confusing to you to clear it up. How about we look at uh, Queen Elizabeth over in England? What if she passes away, and uh, we know the next in line is her son Charles to step onto the throne? What if on the day of the coronation ceremony, Charles, the guest of honor, is nowhere to be found? Everyone else makes it, but he's nowhere to be found. They start digging and looking around, and he's hiding behind the curtains, he's hiding behind the furniture or something like that. My question is, why is why would someone who had been called, anointed, and appointed to lead, why would they hide? I think maybe it's because they've got some deep uh, issues with insecurities. Or maybe they aren't putting their trust in God to believe that He really has a plan for their life. Now think about Saul that we're talking about. I believe that Saul could have walked into that kingship with all the confidence in the world because he knew that God had anointed him, God had appointed him, God had put him in office. Did he do that? No. Actually, Saul's insecurities and inabilities, he thought he wasn't able to do anything. His inabilities and insecurities plagued him, not just that day, but throughout his whole life. Whatever it was, he should have dealt with it. He should have dealt with it real quickly because it eventually destroyed him because of jealousy. So to put this in a time frame, we've all heard of the story of David and Goliath, right? Right? Well, Saul is king when all that David and Goliath thing happened. And after David killed Goliath, Saul realized how important David was to him and kept him pretty close by his side. Look what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. So in the beginning, Saul was very pleased with David. He was so pleased with David that he invited him to come live in his own house. I actually treated him as uh, one of his own sons and gave him a high rank in the army. But as time went on, David's popularity grew and grew and grew with the people. Look what it says in verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, With joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This this refrain, refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? So Saul's already worried about David stepping up and overthrowing him. And from that time on, it says, Saul kept a close eye on David. Some translations say he kept a jealous eye on David. I believe it was a jealous eye. He kept his eye on David 24-7 after that because he was consumed with one passion. Consumed with getting rid of this uh, young hotshot named David. Look at verse 10. The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So Saul's trying to play one of his favorite games, uh, pin the spear on David. (laughs) It didn't just happen once either. It happened twice. Look at verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. Think about David for a minute. In the space of a few days, David went from being an unknown shepherd to all of a sudden being a national hero to then becoming Saul's worst enemy. And you're going to see the progression in this story about, uh, that Saul's envy took, envy took toward David. You know, when I think about Saul, he should have been thankful to have a man like David in his army. He should have been thankful to have a man like David that was so committed to the king, so committed to God, serving under him. But envy destroyed any rational thought that Saul had, and Saul ended up going after David and chasing him down like he was some kind of wild animal. You know what caused all of that? Jealousy. Envy. Jealousy had consumed him. Look what Proverbs 14, verse 30 says. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bone. Did you realize it says envy rots the bones? Our bones are inside our bodies, right? You know what that's telling me? Envy destroys from the inside out. It starts on the inside. It begins in our hearts and in our minds. And if we don't get it in check, and if we let it get out of control, envy can actually destroy us. It can, it can poison a reputation. It can cause you to be someone that you don't want to be. Actually, envy can bring out the worst that you've ever seen in yourself. It's an ugly and destructive sin. But think about Saul. He went from jealousy to hatred, eventually to murder. It was a progression. And it all started with something that most of the time we don't think is a big deal. Most of the time we don't even want to talk about it. Jealousy or envy. Look at verse 13. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. Saul's got some plans toward David, and they're not good plans. And all of Saul's bad plans backfire. He tried to put David in uh, dangerous situation after dangerous situation because he really wanted to kill David, but it didn't work. So then Saul comes up with another plan. He thinks, well, I'll offer my daughter Michael uh, to get married to David, She was beautiful. Uh, She loved David. David loved her, so it seemed like a good deal. But David all of a sudden starts feeling that he's unworthy to marry the daughter of a king. He says, hey, I'm just a poor man. Uh, I'm unworthy of this honor, and I don't have the money to pay the bridal price. Well, Saul has another plan. He says, I'll tell you what, David. I'll forget the bridal bridal price if you'll just go out and bring me the foreskins of a hundred Philistine soldiers. Let me stop right here. Bring out a point. I love my wife, Cheryl, but I think that's asking a bit much. Amen? (laughs) I bought her a ring, and thankfully, that worked fine. She was happy with that. But Saul's motives were pretty clear. He was banking on the fact that it's not easy to collect one Philistine foreskin, let alone a hundred. So Saul actually wanted David to be killed by these Philistines. That was his plan. But David, not only did he bring back 100 foreskins of the Philistine soldiers, he brought back 200, which I'm sure infuriated Saul even more. In all, Saul tried to kill David or have David killed 12 times or more. But the more Saul persecuted David, you know what? The more David thrived. And you know why? Because God was on David's side. God was with David. David. But you know, through the whole thing, even attempt after attempt, when Saul tried to kill him, David still honored the king. He still respected the position and the authority of the king. And here's the big problem when Saul took his eyes off of God, he put them on David. He took them off of God, put them on David. Whenever anything becomes our focus, it'll become our worship. It'll become what we worship. The problem with envy is that it doesn't stay small. It grows and it grows and it grows and it gets worse and it gets worse and it actually hurts that person who is consumed with the jealousy more than anything. I read a story about uh, two shopkeepers that were uh, bitter rivals and the problem was they had stores that were right across the street from one another and so they could see how many customers were coming into their stores each day or their, their uh, opposing stores each day And um, uh, whenever they would get a customer, they would look over at their uh, neighbor across the street with this big toothy grin. And one night, supposedly, an angel came to one of these shopkeepers and and, uh, said, hey, you can have anything that you want, but just keep in mind, anything that you want, I'll give you, but your bitter rival across the street is going to get twice as much. If you want to be wealthy, they're going to be twice as wealthy. If you want to live long, they're going to live twice as long. So the angel looks at him and says, well, what's your wish? The shopkeeper thought for a minute, and he thought, and he thought, I tell you what, he said, make me blind in one eye. (laughs) Kind of funny in a twisted way, but it's sad. Look how Saul's story ends, because it's sad too. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer wouldn't do it, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. My point is, envy, like most sins, not only destroys you, but it destroys everyone around you. Saul's jealousy toward David blinded him of all the blessings that God had poured into Saul's life. You know, the problem is when we compare our lives with someone else's, we want what they have, right? We take our minds totally off of what God has already given us. We take our eyes totally off of what God has equipped us for, for our own specific mission. When we envy, you realize your struggle is not really with the person that you're envious of, that you're jealous of. No, our real struggle is with God. Because when we're envying someone, we're actually saying, God, I know how much you're blessing those people over there. And God, some of those blessings actually belong to me. We've all had problems with envy. We may not want to admit it, but we've all been jealous. You know, I think of many years ago when we were early in ministry here. We were just a small church, small congregation. I was working a full-time construction job at the time. Trying to pastor the church full time, trying to do some remodeling around here uh, while having a family. And I hate to admit it, but I got my eyes totally off of God, totally off of what the Lord was calling me to do. You know what I did? I began comparing my walk and my ministry with other ministers. I began looking at their beautiful buildings, I began looking at their big congregations, I began looking at all of these things on the surface. And I started comparing what we had or what I had with what they had. And and basically, I was saying, God, why aren't you blessing me? I'm working hard for you, God. Why aren't you blessing me? And all of a sudden, I heard God speak into my heart. And he said this basically, son, when will Jesus be enough for you? Son, when will I be enough for you? And when I heard his voice in my heart saying those things, it broke my heart. Because I was ashamed that my my whole focus had got off track. I was looking at all the superficial things, all the surface things. I was looking at nice buildings. I was looking at congregation sizes. And I was reminded, why could or how could I ever do that to my Lord? He had done everything for me. He had left heaven, come to this earth, died a brutal death on the cross so that I could have eternal life. And I basically forgot about him because I got all caught up in comparing. I got all caught up in being jealous. So I'm going to ask all of you, because I know we're all only human. When will Jesus be enough for you? Is he enough for you? Do you think he's enough? Do you realize he's enough? You know, I know that we all want to live in a nicer house, drive a nicer car, have a better job. If we're not married, we want to be married. All those things are okay. All those things are good. But when is Jesus going to be enough? So enough that you're truly content. And a lot of times we have this idea that only unbelievers do that. Not true at all. Do you realize even the Apostle Paul had to deal with it? Look at Philippians 4, verse 11. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Look at that word, learned. That tells us that that wasn't automatic for for Paul. Paul uh, wasn't automatically content. He had to learn how to be content. I love what he goes on to say in verse 12. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I love this part. I can do all of this. Or I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Skip down to verse 19. Paul says, And my God will meet or supply all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. You break that down, Paul is basically saying, hey, I don't need what she has over there. I don't need what he has over here. I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus because Jesus is enough. Is Jesus enough for you today? Is he the one that's satisfying you today? Because here's the bottom line. When you're concentrating on being where God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do, you're going to be content then with what God wants you to have. You're going to be satisfied whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. Just like the Apostle Paul just said, I believe with all of my heart today, we need to keep our focus on God's plan for our life. Don't get caught up in looking at God's plan for someone else. Just like the story of the man in our opening story, we get so stuck sometimes. And it may not be a rock or a boulder. But we get stuck on why we don't have the same things other people have. We get stuck on why we don't have the same blessings other people have. And we get so stuck sometimes that we lose sight of God's plan for our own life. We get stuck. And when you get stuck, you can't move on and do the things God wants you to do and be who He wants you to be. So I want to ask you, why should we ever let what anyone else has keep us from seeing God's plan for our life? Look at Hebrews 1 chapter 1 verse 12. It says, let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. You ought to circle that word particular. That means the unique race. That means the race that God has only set for you. Do you realize today God has a plan for a particular race for you to run that maybe only you can run? He's made you and I for a unique purpose. I love what Jesus himself says in Matthew 26, 16. Jesus says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Seems a little bit back, uh, backwards there, right? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Then he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be servant. If you want to become great, if you want God to exalt you, you've got to learn to serve. You've got to learn to become a servant. You know, when I look around at most everything in this world, it's not going to matter in the bigger picture. And God is saying how you're going to be rewarded in heaven is not going to be according to how much money you have, how successful you were, how popular you were. No, Jesus says what's really going to matter is how much you've served and actually how much you put other people first. And I believe we're all going to get asked one day, how much did you serve the people around you in love? He's not going to say, how many businesses did you start? How big was your bank account? If you want to make your life count today, stop envying people. Stop being jealous of people and start serving people. And if you do, God's watching. God said, I'll be the one that rewards you. You may not realize it, but every person that's ever been born is born with gifts and talents that God has given. And God didn't give us those unique gifts and talents to waste upon ourselves. Why did He give them to us? He gave them so that we could use them for the good of others. I believe we need to get busy about serving our God. If you want to make your life count, don't be jealous. Start serving God takes notice. He'll reward. Life's about serving. It's not about acquiring things. Our whole idea is we're going to accumulate, we're going to accumulate. My big question to everyone out there today is, are you giving your life away? Are you giving your life away in service to others? I'll guarantee you this. When you get busy serving other people, you're not going to have time. You won't have time to be jealous. You won't have time to be envious of others. We need to ask the Lord to help us. If we can't do it already, we need to ask the Lord to help us to be happy for others when they're blessed. Not to get jealous, but to actually celebrate what God has given to them. And as I thought about the days we're living in, God wants us to be about our Father's business, right? He wants us to be about saving as many souls as we possibly can. Do you know how we're going to save souls? By serving souls. Do you know how we're going to... Save souls by loving souls the way Jesus loved souls. I want to pray a prayer. I'd like everyone to bow their heart and their head in prayer. And I want to pray this prayer, and I'm going to make it my own personal prayer today. But I want you to join in with me. I want you to uh, be praying this prayer in your heart yourself. Father, I want my life to be filled with love, your love. So, Father, I ask you to help me root out all the envy in my life and in my relationships. Lord, help me to stop comparing myself to others and help me to enjoy your goodness toward others. Lord, help me to realize that you've given enough love and grace in my life and there's enough to go around. Help me to realize that I already have much more than I could ever deserve. (laughs) Forgive me, God, for being ungrateful. Forgive me, Lord God, for overlooking all that you've already given me. Father, I pray you would help me to focus on your plan for my life. Not be jealous and envious of others, but be thankful for the plan that you have for my life. And above all, help me to always realize. Lord, help us always to realize that Jesus is enough for today. And Jesus, you'll be enough for our tomorrow and for our eternity. I give you the glory, and I give you the praise. We love you, Lord, and we praise you today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you all, we'll see you again next week. Yeah, I heard her. over <laughs>